as far as they were concerned, he was just a guy who worked at Manchester University. What's going on at the Stables Theatre? Welcome to this latest episode of What's Going On at the Stables Theatre. I'm Stuart Bailey, and I've been breaking the code. Breaking the Code, the story of Alan Turing and how he saved the nation before being shunned and then imprisoned for his homosexuality, takes to the stage at the Stables Theatre at the end of this week for an eight-night run. Written by Hugh Whitemore and directed by Mike Nower, I recently caught up with Mike and the play's main characters, Andrew McGrath, who plays Turing, and Jenny Lloyd-Lyons, who plays his mum, to find out more about the man dubbed the father of modern computers whose work at Bletchley Park during World War II helped save Britain by breaking the German Enigma Code and whose refusal to compromise may have helped him achieve his scientific goals but was also his personal undoing. Andrew, how, how are you feeling about it? Because it's a, a bit of a, an iconic piece. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, you know, everyone's seen, you know, the play was big when it first came out in what, the, the 80s. And obviously there's been a few films, there's a film adaptation of this play, slash the biography, there's the imitation game that came out a few years ago, and Turing is very much a big figure, um, especially in the local area. It's been a lot of pressure. This has also been the largest part I've ever taken in a play. A lot of lines to learn. That, that's, that's given me the most nerves, more than anything. I've spent a lot of time sort of researching Turing, trying to get an idea of his mannerisms, trying to create my own interpretation of, of what he was like, given that there's no audio or video footage, it's just people's recollections. But there's just so many lines to learn. <laughs> it's daunting. It's for 16 scenes in total, which is... Some are very short. Yeah, I think there's, there's not 17. There's eight in the first and then nine in the second, I think. Oh. But, but two of them in the second half are just monologues. One only half a page and the other three pages by Turing. And I take it you're on stage for most of the time? I'm on stage for pretty much the entire thing. Most of my time has been spent looking into Turing. Um, I was given a, a book called Prof by, by the director Mike, which is sort of a more recent biography that sort of goes into a bit more depth about the stuff that previous biographies have kept a bit reserved. Mm. Is this my first time... I think playing a real character, or at least a recent real character. And your, your biggest part to date as well. My biggest part I've ever had, yeah. Very daunting size to the part, mm. um, but a, a challenge I've been eager for. I, I always sit in the seats and sort of look at the people on stage and just marvel at the way they've committed all of that dialogue to memory. It's something I couldn't do. Oh, it's, it's, a, it's difficult. Uh, there's a lot of dial, uh, dialogue and a few monologues that I'm having to learn. And I'm having trouble with the monologues, most of all. Is that because you don't have the cues coming back in the other way that, I suppose, acts as a kind of aid memoir? And... That's exactly it, for me at least. Mm-hmm. In, in a conversation, in a duologue, a, a, a you know, group conversation, there's a natural sort of thought process that, that I can follow both in character and mm-hmm. as an actor. A monologue is more the character following their own train of thought, which... I found it, a bit it more does mean if you go wrong in the middle, you're not letting anybody else down. That's true. <laughs> I could make up. I could yeah. make all of it up, yeah. I suppose. Yeah. yeah. Um, as long as I'm getting the gist of it across. Jenny, Mrs. Chewing, Chewing's mum. Um, how, how are you tackling that? It's a lovely part because 
there are only four scenes out of the 16 in the play. There's quite a story I have to tell about my character in just those four scenes. Um, and in the first one, we see her being very uh, gushy and so excited that Alan has brought home a school friend. My biggest challenge is trying to get across the uh, emotional impact in a relatively short scene in terms of Alan's big confession about what's happening to him, about his homosexuality, and it's not giving anything away by the fact that she's scared he might have to go to prison. She has to really turn all of that initial, actually disgust, it, it's something that she finds repulsive to begin with. And then she finds the way it's been written, and we have reason to believe that she, she did have a better relationship with Alan in real life when in his later years, after he'd confessed to her. But the way it's written, that all happens in one scene. So there's repulsion and then support and love, all in, in um, the space of a, about three or four lines. So it's... Uh, that must be a big challenge. It's, it has been a big challenge. I'm, I'm still not sure I've got it right. I'm relying on Mike to guide me. Um, but it, it's, even though I've only got four scenes out of the 16, 17, 18, whatever it is, um, the, the first one, it, it's quite different to the next one, which is quite different to the next one, which is different to the last one. So I, it's lovely to be able to go through a range of different feelings um, in, in, a, yeah, in a relatively short time compared to Alan. <laughs> I mean, it, it, it is quite an amazing story when you look at it, that, you, that this man effectively saved the country. He's been described as the father of modern computing, which shows how far ahead of his time he actually was. And then to have been sort of vilified in the way he was, the story sort of resonates. There's the whole issue about IT and where we are with IT today, the whole issue with where we are with diversity then and now. So again, that must be quite a challenge to, to deal with that. I think it's incredible coincidence that there is so much in the news at the moment about artificial intelligence and the impact it's having on various people and how many people are going on strike because they're worried about their jobs and um, the head of AI at Google leaving because he's, he's worried because he himself it. thinks yes. it's, it's, as I quote, quite scary. He says they can't overthink humans at the moment, but he thinks it might happen. So extraordinary coincidence because Alan Turing was really at the forefront with his research and his work of the basis of what has now become artificial intelligence so it's extraordinary isn't it? Yes yeah, quite a good um, coincidence <laughs> yes. for us perhaps a bad coincidence for the world depending on your point of view. Yeah. Um, I mean yeah Turing was very much known for for his pioneering work not just in computing like most geniuses his genius came from a, a place of creativity of being able to think outside the box. You know, he believed a machine could do any mental process that the human brain could do, which is, as we know, artificial intelligence. And it's similar to what we're seeing AI do today. And, and like, like Jenny said, an issue that's increasingly common in modern life. And I think Turing, unknowingly at the time, was kind of at the forefront of all this kind of technology. The, the, the play itself, I mean, what period of Turing's life does it cover? And I suppose in that I'm asking it, at what point do we leave him? The play covers pretty much most of his life. There's a scene uh, when he's quite young with one of his young school friends and it goes all the way through to 
well, the end of his life. He's supposed to be 17 in the first scene with Chris. 17 in the first scene, I believe. 42 in the last scene, maybe 43. That school friend that he's bringing home, that's a significant thing for his mother, isn't it? Well, yes. It's uh, the mother's first scene, and she is delighted that Alan has brought home a friend. But she's so delighted that she goes completely over the top and totally gushing and embarrassing Alan. <laughs> and, uh, but Chris is very diplomatic about it. Um, and then, interestingly, in the next scene, she's delighted that he's brought a female friend home. And, but you, there are the hints in that of her feeling a sense of frustration that he's not getting on with normal life. Does she sense that he's not... And he uses what advisedly, but wasn't normal or as other people were? Uh, yeah, I, there's a classic line in the second scene that the mother has, which is, uh, I wish he'd be interested in something normal like stamp collecting or model trains <laughs> like his brother. Um, so that is a, I think, tells the audience that, of her frustration about she's recognising that he's not normal. And and the, they spar with each other, don't they, in a, in a way that she's clearly very frustrated but he's frustrated as well because he's desperate i think to be able to communicate with his mother on a more intellectual level and she just doesn't have it in her the way the play is written because she was educated in real life so it's it, that's an interesting dynamic but um she nevertheless is is not on his level to be able to discuss things and to the time children was growing up Mathematics and sciences were kind of seen as a bit lesser, um, especially in the circles that Turing's family grew up in, you know, sort of very upper middle class or high class uh, family, you know, sent to, sent to boarding schools and all that. Mathematics, science, all of that was very looked down upon. You were supposed to do, you know, classical history, philosophy, you know, the finger quotes yes. important stuff. The engineering side of things was a bit blue collar, I suppose, in those days. Exactly. His mother was uh, trained when she was younger in art. Her head is not math, science, practical stuff. It's beautiful, lovely, gorgeous, fluffy stuff. Um, but also, she does say to Alan's girl friend, as opposed to girlfriend, um, that she's very envious of Pat having gone to Cambridge because in her day, it wasn't considered a good idea to give a girl a good education, and it was frowned upon. It was, she says, looked upon with a degree of suspicion, as though intelligence was unfeminine or unattractive. It really, it's most unfair, she says. Um, so she's frustrated that she wasn't able to be more educated, I think, herself, and frustrated that she's now not able to communicate with her son in the way that she can with Alan's older brother. So the play's got so many layers there about about the way our society has changed in the last hundred years. Mm. And the other added significance, of course, is Turing lived in, in Mays Hill for the three from about six to until he was nine. Yeah. So he has yes. that, that connection with the town. I've taken a picture of the blue plaque, <laughs> Alan Turing, on the wall. Yes, now I'm shaved, we need to go and take a picture with me there. Absolutely. Yeah, just, just up from St Leonard's Gardens. It's a beautiful-looking mm. old house. In 1938, he started to work for the government, um, and then by 1939, he was he was he was cracking the code. It's, it's as I say, it's it's just it's, it's an amazing story. The country turned on him, despite the fact he had no BE. 
I think the thing was, because it was all secret, um, and indeed Churchill ordered all of the uh, code-breaking machines to be destroyed at the end of the war, and nobody knew. Uh, as far as they were concerned, he was just a guy who worked at Manchester University. We now know all about this, but, but in those days, that would all have been very quiet and, mm. and, and hushed up. Because that would have been top secret. But from your point of view, Mike, in, in terms of directing the play, I mean, what, what drew you to it? What I just think it's a great play. I really do. Um, in so many ways, in, in the structure of it, in the story, in the dichotomy between the, the two jurings, as it were, the, um, the uncompromising juring who refused to uh, admit that being gay was wrong, um, and yet at the same time the guy that was so uncompromising he pushed and pushed and pushed Churchill to get resources to build the, the code-breaking machine and other things. Because he, he had a sort of personal... Churchill actually gave him That's right. direct say so and go ahead to do what he was doing. Provided the resources he needed, yeah. yeah. Amazing, amazing. You can now find our podcasts on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Just search for Stables Theatre Hastings. Then if you like what you hear, please leave us a five-star review. And that way you'll be helping other people find our growing catalogue of podcasts. If you'd like to book tickets for this or any other show at the Stables, then go to stablestheatre.co.uk or call the box office on 01424 423 221.